If it is your first time, I know several of you, it is your first time. We want to say welcome to you. We're so glad that you guys are here, that you decided to join us. Uh, We pray and hope that this is just a very comfortable place for you to really seek after God and to really answer some questions that you may have about God. This is a place for you to do that. And we hope that you just feel completely welcome here. So thanks for coming today. Um, We are in our series called Parable. Small story, big idea. These short stories that are very short. They have very, very small in, in length, but huge meaning. And so that is what we're in. We're in the second week of that. Today, we're going to talk about the servant, the servant. And so we're going to get to that in a minute. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had an experience where you thought you would ask a question of a teacher, of somebody in the group or at a table at dinner? And you asked the question because you were pretty sure you knew the answer to it. And you wanted to ask the question because you wanted to sound smart. Have you ever done that? I'm sure none of you have ever done that. Sure, you never have. I have. <laughs> I have done that. I've usually not led on after I asked the question and I found out I am not nearly as smart as I thought I was. Um, but I have done that. And, and our story today, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, who is known for asking very good questions, but fairly impetuous questions, just off the cuff, like, oh, whoops, uh, kind of questions. Peter decides he has one of those moments where he asks a very good question of Jesus. And, and he asked this question, and he, he asked this question thinking he is being very righteous, thinking he is being very holy, thinking he is being very generous with how he's asking this question. And he finds out after Jesus answers it that maybe he was mistaken. And then Jesus, as a result, he gives the answer to Peter right away. But then Jesus decides, I need to clarify this answer. I need to help them understand this even a little bit more. And so I'm going to tell them a story to help explain this. And so this is the setting that Jesus is in. If you like to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. So go ahead and go on your, on your phones or in your own Bible. If you like to turn there, follow along. It'll be on the screen as it normally is. But Matthew chapter 18 is where this story is found. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read the story in its entirety So that you kind of get the gist, get the feel of what was going on with Jesus and Peter and when he was telling this story. And then we're going to go back after reading this whole thing straight through out of Scripture. And then we're going to break it down into three very important sections that I believe that the story falls into. All right. So you guys ready? So let's read it. It's several verses long. So just kind of follow along with me. Then Peter came to him, to Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. 
His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But the creditor, the servant, wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid its entire debt. All right, so this is a difficult story, isn't it? This is a hard story, but this is what Jesus told to help Peter understand. Remember, this is all, this story is in response to a question that Peter posed to Jesus in front of a whole bunch of other people, his disciples and other people there as well. And he has this this first part. So what I want to do is I want to break it down. Let's break it into three sections and really dig into the story and see what Jesus is really talking about. So the first one, let's go back to the first two verses. Let's read them again to refresh because we got through the whole story and we need to see what this, where this is going. Then Peter came to him, to Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Okay. Now, the first thing to understand is when Peter asked this question, I kind of set this up beforehand, didn't I? When Peter asked this question, he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times? When Peter says that, he was being extremely generous, he thought. He thought he was. He was saying, wow, you know, Lord, I've been thinking. Now, understand, Peter is getting to know Jesus. He's been walking around and talking with Jesus like late into the evening, I'm sure. They've had long talks. He's learning that Jesus has kind of a high standard for life. Right. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to ask this question, but I'm going to impose it in a way that he knows I'm growing. I'm doing better. And so he says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody? Maybe even up to seven times. Do you think that would be a lot? Seven times? (laughs) See, understand that the traditional culture at that time in Israel, where Peter and Jesus lived, the going rate for forgiving somebody who wronged you, for sin, who sinned against you, you know how many times? They would tell you up to three times, no more. That was the going rate. That was the traditional style. They said, if you're a good person, you will forgive somebody up to three times if they wrong you. After that, you're done with them. Even the religious leaders of the day in the synagogues would have said that up to three times. So Peter, thinking he's amazing, says, I'm going to more than double that. And then I'm going to ask Jesus. And, and let's see how this turns out. He's going to say, wow, Peter, that would be amazing. That'd be awesome. I'm sure he's kind of looking for congratulations. <laughs> I can almost hear Jesus chuckle, right? I can almost hear him go, oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. You've understood that I have a high standard, but we're nowhere close to understanding yet. And so Jesus says, no, 70 times seven, or really literally translate it's 77 times. In other words, he's saying seven, not even close. Limitless, yes. And he goes in there and he gives this and he says, okay, understand that to people who thought you should forgive people up to three times, Peter asked for seven times and Jesus said, not even close. You should forgive them like again and again forever. He has just blown their minds. 
He has just wrecked their world. And so Jesus knows he's answered this question and just blown their minds. And so he needs to tell them a story to help bring them back to earth a bit, (laughs) right? I mean, he just blew them away. And now he says, okay, let me try to explain this in a way that makes a little bit more common sense. Okay, and so this is why he goes into the story. So let's look at the story, the first part of the story uh, that that Jesus tells. This is what Jesus says. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his pastor ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, everything he owned to pay the debt. This was normal practice, by the way, in this culture at that time. You sold them into slavery in order to pay the debt if they couldn't pay. Normal kind of a thing. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Now, a couple of things, just one major quick thing, I guess, before we get into the first major point that I want to make that I think Jesus is making in this parable. I want you to take notice of the debt because it's exceptionally important to this story. In the original Greek language, when this was written, again, remember, the Bible was not written in English, right? So when it was originally written in Greek, when they wrote it, they had to use a frame of reference. Jesus had to use a frame of reference when he spoke this that made sense to them. Dollars makes no sense. It makes sense to you and I because we know what a dollar is. To them, they had no idea what a dollar was. It didn't exist. So when it was originally recorded, when Jesus said this, he said 10,000 talents, Okay, that was the frame of reference. That was the denomination of, of coin or money that they used. The talent was the highest value uh, that you could talk about in that culture in that day. And Jesus said the man owed the king 10,000 of those. To put this in perspective, that's why the New Living Translation, the translation that we use, has just already done that work for you. And that's why it says millions of dollars. In fact, they're very conservative. It could possibly have been in the billions of dollars. Okay. In other words, what's the point? I want us to understand the importance of this. The point is there's no way possible that this servant is ever going to repay the king. Not a chance. Not even a 0.1% chance. This debt is unpayable. We need to understand that. It's very important. That's what Jesus was trying to communicate. 10,000 talents is just not something. That was 375 tons of silver, not pounds, tons of silver. Okay. This debt is unpayable for this guy. And so there's no way out unless the king does what? Forgives him. There's no way out unless, even though he pleads and says, I will pay it. The king knows there's no way you're going to pay this. There's no way. And he has pity and he forgives him. So what is the point here? The first main point that we need to make sure we realize from this parable that Jesus is trying to explain is God's forgiveness is limitless and free. God's forgiveness is limitless and free. That is huge. God knows that we all have a debt of sin to him. We owe a debt of sin to him. It is a debt that is unpayable. It is even more than 10,000 talents. It is is non-quantifiable. It is not possible to be able to pay it. It is unpayable. It is a debt that we cannot get rid of. 
apart from God forgiving our debt. And so God knows that. And so we know we're leading up to this time when we're going to talk about this, when we focus on this. This is what the season of Lent is all about. And we go and God has said, I will provide a way where your debt of sin will be paid, canceled, erased from the record for good. I'm going to provide a way to do that. And he says, the way that we're going to do that is Jesus is going to take the punishment for you and then you need to accept it. You need to believe that I'm going to do that. You need to believe that I actually did that for you, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and paid the price and it was sufficient and your debt can be gone. And so Jesus says, I pay the price for you so that you can be forgiven. So that we cancel that sin out. But what is part of the key to that? Part of the key to that is that you have to accept it. Right? It does no good, for example, in the story. If Jesus tells the story, he says that he begs the king and the king says he's filled with pity and he forgives the debt. He says, I forgive the debt. Go and be free. Which is what the king says. But let's say the servant says, no, no, no. I want to pay the debt. I want to work harder for you. I'm going to be good. I'm going to do more good works. I'm going to do everything I can to pay off this debt. But the king understands there's no way you're going to pay this debt. And and the servant never accepts what the king does for him. Well, then he's not going to really be forgiven, is he? The king has forgiven him, but he hasn't accepted it. He hasn't really actually taken it on. But that's not the problem with the servant, is it? (laughs) This servant willingly takes it. He's like, oh, yeah, free from the debt. And he runs out of there with newfound freedom. What's the problem with this servant, though? Well, the servant comes, obviously, in the second half of our story. God's forgiveness is limitless and free. But then God, Jesus, tells us about another aspect of forgiveness that we need to hear. And this is where the servant kind of messed up a little bit. Let's read the second part, the more difficult part. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, much smaller debt. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Now, this is the difficult part of the story, isn't it? This is the one that makes rubs us the wrong way. This is the one that makes us squirm a bit. Because the first part is very Hollywood. We go and, you know, we wrestle through for an hour and a half that they, the director put everything together and all this stuff happens. And by the end, in the an hour and a half movie or two hour movie, everything comes to the point and everything is grand. And what do they do? They all ride off into the sunset with beautiful music playing. And then we get to see everybody who made the movie. Right. That's how they do it. But here, this is a different ending. This is not how Hollywood would script it, would they? 
No, of course they wouldn't, because this is uncomfortable. But this is where Jesus is saying, he's saying, this is a lot of times what happens. God's forgiveness is limitless and free, but there's another part to forgiveness that we need to really understand and take on. And it's really important. So critically important. This would solve a lot of problems right now. Right now it would. This is the second point that's really important. Our forgiveness must be limitless and free. God has shown us the example of forgiveness. He's already given that to us. He's already saying, listen, I am canceling your debt. It is gone if you want it to be. I want it to be. Do you want it to be? I've already done the work for you. That's why when Jesus is on the cross, he says, it is finished. What does that mean? It means I've already taken the debt. It's gone. Now people just have to accept it. They need to believe in it. They need to believe in Jesus. He says, it is finished. Your debt is gone. But here is the next part of this, the harder part. God says, I will forgive you completely. I'm going to cancel it out. But now what my expectation of you is that you will forgive others in the same way. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that's hard. I'm tested in this every day. I have a seven and a five and a one and a half year old. I kid you not. I am tested in this every day. And it's no, they're not grievously like totally sinning against me, but they're doing things that I go, ah, I'm sure you've never felt that way. (laughs) Yeah, right. Right. But uh, my kids and whatever it is, they, they do things that just, oh, they rend our heart and they drive us to frustration, and we, and we see this. And what God is saying to us is whether it's your child, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, whether it's a complete stranger, somebody you have not invested in, they haven't invested in you, who wrongs you, can you offer limitless and free forgiveness for them too? That's a difficult, difficult standard to hold. And that's what Peter was trying to get at, wasn't he? Seven times, Lord? Should I, should I forgive them seven times? Jesus said, no, try infinite. That's really what he meant. He said a number, 77, but you know he, what he meant was just keep forgiving. Because some people are never going to get it. They're going to keep wronging you. So you've got to move on. You've got to get past it. Don't let them just keep hurting you. <laughs> that's not what he's saying. Just, just be a doormat. That's not what Jesus is saying. He didn't say, be a doormat, Peter. He said, forgive them. Don't allow it to destroy you. Forgive them and move on. And he says, this is the standard that I have given to you, but this is the standard that I want you to have. And and I mentioned this, I kind of hinted at this just a second ago, but the best example I can give of this is Laura and I, for Laura and I, it's very easy when we see injustice happen in our home, like between our children. By the way, I mean, I can just tell you that never happens. Like our house is perfect. It's, it's like walking on clouds and marshmallows all the time. It's just, so I don't know how this works for you guys, but I mean, for me, it's just, I'm not sure what the problem is. You know, if you believe that you will believe anything I say. All right. No, it's not totally not that way. And when we see something happen with our children, when they when one of our children wrongs the other one in some way, 
that's totally unfair. They hurt them with words. They hurt them physically or something like that. When there's some injustice that's done from one of our children to the other, then it is very easy for Laura and I to jump in and we try to let them work it out if they can. But if they don't, then we try to jump in and we try to tell them, help guide them toward forgiveness and toward reconciliation. That may seem silly, but understand that even little things, this is where it needs to start. When they have broken the relationship with their, their sibling, something needs to be done. The, the relationship needs to be reconciled. They need to understand that they did hurt and that something needs to be done about it. Right? And so we jump in and we see that. It's easy to see. And we're like, oh, yeah, forgiveness needs to be offered. And you were going to say you're sorry and blah, blah, blah. Right? The hard thing is when it's flipped around. When, when, you know, when we see this happen outside of ourselves, it's easy to call it out. But when, say, for example, I lose my patience and I say too harsh a words, get in the car. You know, I've never said that. Actually, I have many times. But, ah, you know, and I'm like, we are so late. It's unbelievable. And I know I should have planned better as the parent, but I didn't. And so you need to move. <laughs> right? It's the truth. And if I lose my patience just a little bit and I throw a harsh word their way, let me tell you, I don't know why, but it is very difficult for me to seek forgiveness from my children and actually offer an apology too much. It is very humbling for me to get down on my knees and look them in the eye and say, I apologize for that. Will you forgive me for doing that to you? Or when somebody wrongs me, if my children wrong me, if they wrong each other, it's easy to point out. If they wrong me and I have to forgive them, I don't know about you, but that's hard. It's difficult sometimes. I do it, but it's a struggle. And what Jesus is saying is there's two parts to this story. One, I am showing you the way. I forgive you completely. No payment required. I am forgiving you free of debt. Your sin is paid if you so accept it, if you want it. But then Jesus, right on the heels of that, says, but I expect you to do the same for everybody else. I expect you to do that for your family, for your friends, and even for perfect strangers. This is a difficult standard, isn't it? Peter, (laughs) I'm sure, is going, are you kidding me right now? That's the standard that you're going to hold us to? And Jesus says, yes, this is the story that proves that. If I can, let me try to illustrate why it's so important, not only to accept Jesus' forgiveness, but to be able to forgive others. Because I know that that generally is the holdup. It's easy. If the king says, I will forgive you your million dollars, most of us are not going to be like, no, no, I'd like to pay it. Please let me pay it. I would love to do that for the rest of my life. You know, it's easy to accept that forgiveness. But when when somebody else wrongs us, like this servant showed, and he says, you owe me a few thousand dollars. Get it done now or else you're in prison. He said, I can't. Prison, done. No mercy. And Jesus says, that's where it's evil. Hypocrisy. You're a hypocrite. That's what he's calling this servant in the story. You're a hypocrite. You accept the forgiveness, but you don't offer forgiveness? That doesn't work. 
And so Jesus is saying this, and I want to ex- tell you a story, that maybe, maybe why this can be illustrated a little bit more, why we need to offer forgiveness. After the Civil War, uh, the general, Robert E. Lee, the one who led all the Confederate forces in the Civil War, uh, it was after the Civil War, it was all said and done, it has already been finished, and he went and was visiting through Kentucky. And he ended up at the estate of this lady uh, who lived in Kentucky, so she was part of the South. And, uh, and the lady just started crying, and she said, I want to show you something. And she took him to the front yard to this huge tree, massive tree that had been there for just who knows how long. And the tree limbs and the trunk was completely blown to pieces. And she said, this is what the Federalists did during the war. Do you see this? And she was crying over this tree. And she was really hoping for at least one of two things. One, she was hoping for a word from the general, Robert E. Lee, to condemn the Federalists, condemning them and talking bad about them. Or if not that, she was hoping for a sympathy word, right? Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss and you know, all that and, and those kind of things. And I'm sorry that the tree is destroyed. And... But this is what Robert E. Lee did after he heard that. After a moment of silence, Robert E. Lee looked at her and, she, and he said, cut it down, my dear madam, cut it down and then forget about the tree. And this is what he says to her. It is better to forgive the injustices of the past than to allow them to remain and let bitterness and poison destroy your life. This is what Jesus is saying to you and I. He's saying, I have forgiven you. I've already done that. And I hope that you accept it. That's what God hopes for. But he also says, now you need to forgive so that the bitterness and the poison cannot take over your life. So that it will not destroy you. Last week, you heard me share a pretty emotional thing about myself, what God had been doing in my life. And on the heels of that, we really challenged you to take on three challenges. I want you to get, you have on your chair, some of you have already written on these, you've already committed to this, I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but I want you to get out those challenge cards, just look at those, those three challenges that were on your chair, and, and, and I, I want to talk about that for just a minute. If we are going to accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers freely, if we are going to be open to forgive other people who have wronged us. What I truly believe needs to happen is we need to have the help and the power and forgiveness of God in our life to do that. So these challenges are all about that. What what these are are simply preparing our heart through the season of Lent. And Lent started this last Wednesday. But let me tell you, if you didn't start these challenges on Wednesday, like some of us did, that's okay. Don't let that hold you back. I'm kind of legalistic. I'm like, oh, man, I missed it, you know, and then I won't do it. And it's not because I want to get out of it. I'm just like, I missed it. So I'll just have to catch it next year. Let me tell you, don't do that. Don't be like me. I mean, that's how I'm like the one that starts a book and I have to finish the book because I'm like, I won't do the author justice if I don't finish the stupid book, you know, even though they're repeating themselves 12 times in the last five chapters, right? I'm like, I'm going to stick with this book because I started it, you know? 
take on these challenges. The reason we put these challenges out there, let me just share you what has happened over this last week since we put these challenges out there and since I shared what God wanted to do in my life and what I believe God wants to do in your life. Let me just share what has happened. Uh, for that first, that first challenge, many of it, it, you guys see it. It is give up something of value. Now, this may seem small to you until you do it. This may seem small to you until you do it. But I have heard, I've gotten messages, I've gotten notes, I've gotten emails, I've gotten texts, I've gotten Facebook messages. And so many of you have given up stuff. I have, many of you have given up Facebook for six weeks. That is huge for some of you. I know it is. Some of you are like, I hate Facebook. That's fine. So don't give it up because it's not valuable to you. (laughs) It's kind of like me giving up like coffee. I don't drink coffee. I'm going to give up coffee for Lent, Lord. I promise you I will not touch it for six weeks. Yeah, that's not giving something up of value. That's just giving something up. All right. Some of you have given up Facebook. Some of you gave up alcohol for six weeks. That's that's huge. Some of you have given up internet. Some of you have given up TV. Some of you have given up coffee. And that is a big deal. And that's okay. That's a huge deal to you. That's okay. But remember, the whole point of giving something up is to do what? It is to replace that time, money, and space in your life that you created by giving it up to fill it with something of even greater and more eternal value. Right? Giving up something is a great habit to get into, but it's not just doing that that works. The power is in what you fill it with, right? What are you going to fill it with now? I've gained unbelievable hours in the, the challenge, that I, the thing that I've given up, and I shared that with you last week. I've gained unbelievable hours, and it's been phenomenal this week. I look forward to the next five, six weeks out up till Easter. I look forward to them because it's going to be phenomenal. The second thing is, what are you going to fill it with? And and we talked about a spiritual discipline, Um, reading the Bible, praying together with somebody, um, listening to the word on MP3 or on an app on your phone. A lot of, lot of you are listening to the word of God. And again, I've gotten messages, I've gotten texts and I've gotten so many questions. So you're asking where, when should I read the Bible? Where should I start reading the Bible? What's the name of the app that I should download? Tell, listen, if you've been prompted by God to do something and you're not sure how to start, if you, if you need to call or text me, do that. Okay? Or if you have somebody else that you know could answer that for you, get a hold of them and do it. I've, got, I've been inundated with messages this week with people asking, where should I start? How would I pray on a daily basis? Like, how do you pray? What, what would you say to God? What do you do? Do you get on your knees? Do you find an altar? You know, a lot of people have great questions. Find that out. And then that third challenge is invite somebody to join with you. Maybe it's inviting them to church. Maybe it's inviting them to pray with you. Uh, This is really cool. I did not know this until this last week. Uh, Somebody set up a Facebook page for the people that they invited to read the Bible and do some other things with them and to give up uh, something of value. They all gave up the same thing together. They didn't give up Facebook, obviously. Uh, but they, they, gave, they put a Facebook group together so that they can talk and, and kind of keep each other accountable. If there's anything that Facebook is good for, that would be one. That's awesome. I encourage everyone who's connected to Northridge to take this on. Because this is what I truly believe. And I don't want to sound weird about this, but this is what I truly believe. I believe you will not be the same after it. 
I truly believe that. I already am not. I truly believe that. If you take, it's not about, again, it says it on the card. It's not about being legalistic. It's not about following a religion. This has nothing to do with religion. Do you understand? Nothing to do with religion. It has everything to do with preparing our heart and mind for God to do what he wants to do with us. That's what it is. It's, it's, these challenges are an opportunity for us to open ourselves up and say, God, do what you want to in me and through me. Whatever that is. And that's what this is about. That's what the whole season of Lent is about. Band, worship band, if you would come up. Today, for the last few minutes of the service, what I want to do, Jesus dying on the cross, and the way that Jesus set up for us to do that is to take communion. And so today, we are going to celebrate communion together.